questions tonight? Um, sometimes um, the guru may hear something about us that is inaccurate or um, may not properly re- represent us. And so, um, how much should a disciple, you know, try to correct that perception? or correct the information um, by going and talking to the guru about that? Or how much should they just depend on Krishna to rectify it? Well, it depends um, on uh, on the individual, I think, and it depends on the the extent to which the particular guru makes himself or herself uh, available for for such um, some cases I've seen they don't in some cases um, they do mm-hmm. um, but um, so I don't know you know to give you a, a measurement there but um, I would think that um, in circumstances where the opportunity arises to provide um, accurate information, that it should be supplied and it would be welcomed. That was my experience with Prabhupada, that if he had an opinion based on information that he received about someone or something, and uh, then he received information that proved the previous information to be um, incorrect, then he would change his uh, position on it like any reasonable person would. So I saw that happen a number of times. So I would think that um, that, uh, that would be um, a... Um, You know, something you should do uh, if the opportunity presents itself and is as important and as um, um, busy, I want to say, as probably was. Um, he did uh, certainly inter- entertain the um, opportunity to hear and acquire contradictory or other information to refine his position on on a particular issue. I know an, an instance uh, in the past where a guru um, from another Gaudiya lineage didn't, uh, not someone I was related with, but uh, had an opinion about a disciple that another disciple had presented to him that wasn't accurate and the guru then punished the disciple based on on that information. And he didn't, uh, to my knowledge, he didn't make an effort to give the correct information. Um, he just accepted it and, and went, went forward. And it was difficult for him. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was difficult for him. But uh, he seemed to come out of it. Um, 
land on its feet, so to speak. Um, it's contributing in a meaningful way at this time to the uh, community. So, um, peculiar situation. Um, but that's why Prabhupada said, when asked, that he said, I'm not omniscient. <laughs> Uh, so I think that it becomes as much of a problem as the all-knowingness, if you will, of a sadhu is um, not uh, fully understood. One could be all-knowing and not know everything. Um, it's uh, said in uh, Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that omniscience is one of the qualities of Krishna <clears throat> that also is um, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong also attributed to Brahma Shiva and Narayan uh, but not to the Jivas who can attain to a minute degree up to 50 of the qualities of Krishna delineated by Rupa Goswami. In the context of bhakti, they can. Um, omniscience not being uh, one of them. Um, That said, it's also said in the scripture that the uh, that the liberated person becomes all-knowing. Um, so one can argue it pertains to the actual attainment of liberation. At that time, he or she is not available in the same way here as they are uh, when they're when they're present, and their all-knowingness if you will, has the power that I spoke about last night to hear prayers, reciprocate um, in, in, in this way. Um, so it's a way to kind of resolve that, I suppose. Um, and uh, we find that despite Krishna's omniscience, he um, also doesn't seem to be able to understand what um, Radharani's perspective is <laughs> on himself, only that it exceeds in sweetness his own, and thus is driven to experience. Of course, he accomplishes it and so forth, but there's some sense of, of an ongoing kind of uh, students forever that, if you will, in this school that even pertains to, to Krishna. Um, um, uh, Prem is said to be full, but ever ever increasing, and, and Prem or love, Bhakti is the full sense of knowing. So, uh, the knowing is full, but ever increasing at the same time. It's a very dynamic uh, sense of knowing, very different than what's posited by the school of Gyan. Hmm. As I've said before, in bhakti there's a, there's being and there's a transcendental becoming, whereas in jnana it's thought to stop trying to become and just be what you are. Hmm? 
But we say stop trying to become what you already are, but be all that you can be <laughs> by the influence of the environment of this of bhakti and this rup shakti. A prospect for the jiva dawns that without which it only has in potential. The thing can only be understood fully by taking into consideration its potential, right? So, so I, anyway, I just kind of bring that up because there's this sense of the guru being all all knowing. If he doesn't know, then he thinks that you're bad when you're good. How's that work? Something like that. Um, uh, but I've seen many times Prabhupada would function on information and other sadhus that they had, and then when I would supply other information. Hmm, um, I knew one sadhu when he thought every every woman in America was a prostitute. It's just kind of how he learned, you know. He never had, and that's what he was taught, you know. <laughs> I said it's not quite like that, you know. I said really okay, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> Something like that. So um, again, uh, then back to all knowing and loving. If loving Krishna, Krishna says manmana baba madbhakto madhyaji mam namaskaru bow down to me, become my devotee, think of me. This is the end of all knowledge. This is the king of knowledge. This is the end of knowing manifests in this form of loving, which includes within it a kind of unknowing, right? That Krishna is God, even eventually. Hmm? Um, so it's very peculiar, but the all-knowing uh, here then is very different than a simple dictionary um, definition of uh, omniscience. It seems to be a feature of the Absolute that's more uh, relative to the Paramatma, at least with regard to the, to the world. Hmm. seems quite a burdensome type of a, in a position. <laughs> know everything that's going on here. A lot of things you don't want to know about. Uh, you feel be better off not not knowing, more peaceful. Anyway, um, uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, there's a couple things there that I, that I would, uh, you say, how much should, I think you should try to explain yourself or the position of another if you're in a, or, or an event, if you're in a position to do, do so. I saw Prabhupada was always seeking information and he would take a position. And the thing about Prabhupada is he would take a very strong position and in the midst of young people who were a little afraid to make a strong position back often on a particular issue and not being aware that, that, he, that of his nature and his personality being such that he was asserting himself and if there was no response, then okay, we, we go with it, you know. But it didn't mean there's no um, possibility of responding. You see sometimes, uh, you hear sometimes, if you listen to Prabhupada's recordings, how he is discussing things with persons his own age, or similar to his own age, from his own culture in India on the, on the, on the, on the beach in Bombay on morning walks. Having these chats with these uh, Indian gentlemen, I don't know. Some of them probably became his disciples at, at some point, but they're 
reacting with interacting with him very differently than his American disciple that Prabhupada said, and they just that's it. They they wouldn't push back. They wouldn't say anything. They were intimidated by their understanding of what it meant to be obedient, of what it meant that the gurus, you know, always right or whatever uh, is absolute. You know, they had a certain interpretation of that that caused them to respond in a way that um, I uh, I know a disciple of Prabhupada who in L.A. Um, sometimes had opportunity to talk with him intimately and he, t- and he told me that Prabhupada told him that that's what I do. I push very hard, make m- my point. If no one can say anything back, then we go with that. Hmm? Um, Didn't have it already figured out. Right, but if it came back... Strongly, and you see him do that. How he responds differently when he's sitting with some scholars or some scientists, and in some some ways he'll you know react differently. So we were mostly just pretty young um, kids, you know, twenties, and he was seventies, and and he was the guru figure, and all these terms and ideas were very new to us, all, all knowing the guru's absolute you know authority and so on and so forth. That's why, you know, that we're learning in an ongoing way about the nature of Guru Tattva. How useful, for example, was Pujapatrita Maharaj's input when he just uh, um, spoke about the relativity of the Guru. Because we only heard about the absoluteness of the Guru from from Prabhupada's side. And Sridhar Maharaj talked about the relativity, which was so important and so pertinent, so obvious when we were meeting another uh, similar guru figure who had some different uh, nuanced philosophical uh, renderings of verses and explanations of their implications that weren't different from the philosophy, from different, in some instances, how Prabhupada used the verse, for example. Not that it can't be used in different ways, but who are we to know that? <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, you know, we had one guru, one commentary on on everything. There was reference to other commentaries, but we didn't have access to them. So it created a certain environment. Hmm? And some people are still kind of living in that environment. So they were growing, sort of growing with what's happened and what's come down, so to speak, through the influence of other sadhus and the, you know, publication of other commentaries and so on and so forth. Um, a and as we were speaking about last night, a more nuanced understanding of uh, of Guru Tattva. Hmm. Um, I remember that I gave a talk many years ago um, about uh, relative and absolute position of the Guru, and some of you know Vrindarana, one of my earlier students, and and she was just a kid who was like nineteen years old. So she said, "How could I?" you know, make that into a into a booklet, you know. I said, you know, go ahead, try it. You know, so she did. She typed it out, she edited it and made it into a little booklet. I was impressed with her, her work. And um it got into the hands this was this was like thirty years ago or twenty five years ago or something like that, of some of uh leaders of another institution and the response was, This is off you know, the kind of you know, that used to be a common saying, he's off, you know. <laughs> Um, some of the same people, if I've heard even espousing that those those ideas, 
at this time. So, um, <laughs> not that he's off, but the, the guru is relative <laughs> and absolute, and without ever, you know, mentioning, you know, hey, by the way, I was wrong about that, you know, which would have been the right thing to do. But, <laughs> but at any rate, um, um, you know, so you you pose the question as if almost. You know, is it allowable, or you know, where is this sacred territory that you know that we can cross into here? You know, and correct the guru ostensibly is is what you're saying. I think that the Catholics uh, dealt with this theologically um, at one point in the history of the Church, where you where you have the very same you know principle. You have a guru. You have, um, unfortunately, for better or worse, let's say a GBC in the form of the cardinals, and they elect the, you know, the pope. And they're supposed to, have, you know, the idea is they have a meeting and there's some special blessing and insect that happens and smoke comes up or something like that, and the pope is chosen and he becomes the the next person in the line of the guru parampara, hmm? and he's the head of the church, right? So. He his he is the the living embodiment representative of of the Christ, um, along with the book. Hmm? So they got the book, the Bible that is non different from from the God. Yeah, you know, the person Bible and the book Bible, <laughs> exactly. And um, and it's apparent that the book Bible. You know, needs the person Bible to interpret it and explain it, and draw out uh, light from it, and um, draw from it to comment on new times and circumstances and, and new new things, like regard to moral principles and moral laws. So there are moral principles, and then there are moral laws. The, the principles are one thing; the laws are, are the principles are like there are right things. There are wrong things. There is a right. There is a wrong. Ontologically speaking, there they, these are not just human conventions. There's a in the universe has a right and has a wrong. For example, um, now what's right and what's wrong in any given instance? That's another thing. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. Some people in the Mahabharata. Some people say, just follow Shastri. Says that's true, but it doesn't answer every to every instance. So you have to use Shastra along with reason to arrive at what is the morally correct thing to do in any given instance. That's what we call theology. Hmm? But the reasoning, Shastra Yukti, we call it, hmm? reasoning on the grounds of Scripture, Rupa Goswami says, requires some taste, for example, for what the Bhagavatam is about. We have a taste for that, then you can reason about its implications and its application in different time and different circumstances and extend the argument of the scripture to apply as it does dynamically to each and every uh, you know situation or every generation hmm? um, so um, back to the Catholics the way they dealt with the issue of the papal authority, the guru authority, was that they termed him, I think, um, infallible on faith and morals. So they gave him a realm 
in which he had infallibility to weigh in on um, you know the doctrines of the church hmm, and what the scripture means in an ongoing way but they didn't give him um, the omniscience with regard to anything and everything hmm. that's the way they um, resolved the issue and in one sense the realm of the guru is the scripture is what the scripture says and he or she lives within that and that's their field his or her field of expertise if you ask the guru about another field hmm, he could give a reason or she could give a reasoned opinion but um, it might be good to add to it but it might not be it might not work that way um, um, so uh, it, it was a good move I think on the part of, of the Catholics and it's something to consider you know uh, going forward uh, with uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism uh, with regard to the Guru. Now there's also a sense of of, of having knowledge of the past and the future and the, the, that kind of psychic um, ability that can can come to uh, a person spiritually uh, advanced and so forth. Uh, and then there's also Vyasa Vetinavetiva as uh, what's their name? Mahara was citing the other day. Krishna may speak through the guru and we may hear it as if he may not even know that you have a question in your heart but answer it the answer comes through him and then we think well he answered my question without even me asking it hmm? so that happens right he may know that you have the question he may not know hmm? but he is the medium as Prabhupada referred to the Guru as the transparent medium, and so Krishna's all-knowing, if you will, comes through that medium and does the magic, so to speak, that he's a witness to, and, and, and certainly uh, a not an ordinary person for being that uh, conduit, if you will, but the statement of the scripture was, Vyas may know the meaning, he may not know the meaning, but the meaning, but whatever it is, it's the truth that's coming through him. Hmm? It says it's it's a Vyasaveti Naveti Hamveti Sukamveti Vyasaveti Naveti. This is at least the way it's cited in Chaitanya Charitamrita. There's another version of that with regard to Sridhar Swami uh, and his commentary in the Bhagavatam, but the way Krishna does gives this verse about where he draws it from, I don't know, he doesn't say, but uh it's not a Bengali verse but a Sanskrit verse. Uh Sukadev uh, uh what is it? Uh Ahamveti uh, Sukhamveti. Who's speaking? Is it? Uh, I'm not sure if it's Shiva speaking. Maybe uh, I know the meaning of the Bhagavatam. Sugadev knows the meaning of the Bhagavatam. Vyas may know, he may not know. But one thing's for sure it's not going to be understood simply by academics or by. Um, what does he say? Um, yeah, yeah, Tarko by reasoning or, um, uh, but anyone has to be known by realization, is the idea. Um, so I mean, I think that the idea there is that Sukadev is a renunciate. He was naked. He was a kid. He was the speaker of the Bhagavatam. He was the answer to the Raja's question that uh, personified 
by the transcendental system, uh, as the Raj Parikshit sat with the assembly on the bank of the Ganges, and Sukadeva out of nowhere appeared, and it was apparent to everyone because of his the way he conducted himself, Sukadev, the way he dressed, that he that he knew everything. He knew the answer. He knew the answer to the problem of death because he wasn't attached to anything, which is the whole problem. Hmm? Uh, right? Attachment is ignorance, and then there's the pain, the suffering of death. If you're not attached to anything, then what's the problem? Hmm? Right? So, uh, he knew the meaning. Now, Vyasa, on the other hand, was an apparently a householder. There's a, there's a story in the Bhagavatam of Sukadeva is walking by the ladies who are bathing hmm, in the kund, and they don't cover themselves. But when Vyasa walks by, they cover themselves. Hmm. Because it, it seemed that Vyasa was making distinctions between man and woman, being a married person. <laughs> this is the idea. And Sukadeva was not making those distinctions, he was naked himself. He didn't even know if he was wearing clothes or not. So they had no sense. So, But the verse says, he may know. He still may know, but he may not know. But whatever. Hmm? Uh, this is for sure. The Bhagavatam won't be known by by lesser means than by actually submitting to the message and uh, by, by by spiritual culture and by grace and, and so on and so forth. Um <clears throat> But again, that's knowing the knowing knowing the Bhagavatam is knowing everything, right? If loving Krishna is the end of knowing, then knowing the Bhagavatam is knowing everything. Without knowing how to build a you know a jet airplane or something like that, um, right? So again, there may be some weighing in on the past or the future, and someone may be more adept at that. Than others, or Krishna may, you know, speak through them in that regard. The tree color again knows the past, the present, the future. I mean, knowing the present in one sense means knowing the past and knowing the future if you're paying attention, right? Hamsavatar. <laughs> <laughs> if you know the present, then you know the past, which is present as a result of the past, and you know the future because the present is as a result of the future. Of course, karma is a very complicated affair. Hmm. The question is, does anybody suffer independently of actions they've performed? Hmm. Free will is there. So if someone performs an action of free will and creates new karma by responding to the situation that he or she is confronted with, hmm, and the way in which they do that affects you, then are you af- affected <laughs> by the free, by the new karma that's being initiated by someone? You're not being initiated, you're not being affected by the by the result of it, which will not come immediately because there is no such thing as instant karma according to the scriptures, right? It goes back and, and it becomes unmanifest, it gradually develops into a seed form, and then it manifests in future life. So what I do to create new karma in responding to the to my circumstances, to whatever extent I'm, I, I'm doing that, the reaction for that will come later, right? But what I do now may also affect you. 
And how can I attribute how you're being affected by what I do now as an act of free will? Hmm? How can I attribute that to something you've done in the past? If I attribute it to something you've done in the past, then I take away that the free uh, ex- the free will is the real emphasis of the scripture, which says what? All it says is this, as far as I know, two things. Karma is very difficult to figure out. That's one thing. Gita says that. And then also the scripture says with emphasis that whatever the jiva does do will bring a reaction and in this sense the jiva is responsible for its destiny. In other words, whatever the jiva does, whatever actions it performs, it's going to, a reaction is going to accrue and that's his responsibility. That's what the scripture says. Now you can interpret that somehow to mean that whatever you do, even if it's a initiating, as say, a, a new act of karma in response to uh, that, somehow I'm affected by. Uh, somehow it's a result of something I'm doing. But I don't find that the scriptures uh, has explained it like that, which is good, <laughs> theologizing, if you will, uh, uh, because. It doesn't fly very well in the modern world to think that uh, that that um, that the abuse that you have experienced from me is because you were an abuser. That would be super overly simplistic. Um, you know, it could be because you chose to go down a dark alley, take the shortcut instead of taking the lighted road, and. <laughs> You made a choice, and then there was another thing. Another person was making a choice to rob people that came down the alley. So it's hard to anyway. You know, we're getting a little bit off on that, but it's a tangent. But um, but um, one minute. But um, but loving Krishna anyway is, is is what it really means to know everything as far as the Bhagavad Gita is is concerned, and um, and uh, we should take shelter of someone who, who has love for Krishna, and then we, what will remain to be known for us, right? We can, at the same time, as the, as, the, as the text recommend, look at everything either as my karma, humbly, it's a good recommendation for the jiva, for the Vaishnava, or as Krishna's arrangement, as Vishwana Chakravitakur emphasizes, the result of which is I develop a dependency upon Krishna. Whether that's entirely the case or not is, is, is not of much consequence. What's important in that is that I develop this tendency to take shelter of Krishna, to take shelter of Krishna. Krishna must have arranged this. Okay, I'll go for it, tolerate it. And, and there may be many causes in, in, in involved, or it may be Krishna's arrangement for the Vaishnava. Um, so, yes, you know. <clears throat> it, you know, just what you're saying it says in the scriptures of karma is so difficult to understand yeah. and you know being an astrologer I, you know, I take interest in these things you know and understanding it because many times I've seen a huge reversals you know I mean just huge huge reversals where, where, where someone's you know life is very very you know to them Sad and very, you know, all they can do is find that, you know, God hates me, you know, the world, you know, everything. And then I can see that, that 
this huge reversal has gone to happen. And, and this has been with, with devotees, you know what I mean? And, and, and then all of a sudden this other period starts and there's just like a, just a huge, huge reversal, you know, in this, this, this material, you might say, accoutrements all of a sudden, you know, dropped in their laps. And it's really a matter of how much one's heart is really dependent upon Krishna and how then then how they act. Mm-hmm. How they act act with that with that change. How they respond to it. How, yeah, how they, and, and I've seen it the other way as well. That, uh, you know, and so but that all all must has to come from previous lives, right? I mean that, that when when we see like these huge reversals, so isn't it that we should always have the consciousness that we're dependent upon Krishna and we you know that you know we're thinking of Krishna has done this, this is for my benefit. Well as I mentioned the scriptures recommend to think like that. Right. Yeah. But uh, um um it gets complicated. It rained today because there are other explanations that might be more compelling to people than trying to you know, that the Buddhists moved away from this a little bit. Hmm? They attributed that the natural world has its own interactions independent of the jiva. It has its own movements. Hmm? So that constitutes an adi, adiatmic, from our, in our language, kind of um, uh, natural, environmental, um, uh, circumstance, flood, hurricane, heat wave, uh, frost, and so forth. That doesn't the, the Buddhists look like that? Believe don't have any doesn't have anything to do with what the jivas per se are. You know, and then you know you you say well they say well you know the you know the reason that there was the floods maybe because there were you know there were too many homosexuals and you know in um, New Orleans or something, you know, I don't know, you know, and therefore the hurricane hit there, you know, I mean, so that's the other end of the, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think it's good to emphasize the point of Krishna's in the Gita, it's hard to sort out, uh, you know, karma, and at the same time, I think what's more emphasized really, and is lost sometimes, uh, nonetheless, in the scripture is the, is the free will of the jiva. Because if the jiva doesn't have any free will, then the shastra doesn't make any sense. Because the shastra says, you should choose to do this, and you should choose not to do that. So if you don't have any free will, the scripture has no meaning. Hmm. Um, so there's always the opportunity to, to, to make a choice. Yes, your choices may be influenced by the samskaras that you have from the past, which makes it difficult for you the more, the more you could say, the more that you are covered by a karma in the lower modes, the less there is the freedom for making choices and new karma, which then is how you, how often the the animals and plant life are explained. They're not responsible for anything they do. They're reaping the results of things that they did in a situation in which they had the opportunity to exercise free will, which is human life, and human life becomes. You know, there's a scale of human life, right? Not everybody's like fully human, according to the Veda, anyway. Some people are, you know, still developing, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, 
And of course, the more sattvic you are, right, the less influenced you are by the modes. So your capacity to exercise your will, rather than be influenced primarily by lower modes of nature, and 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 then make choices. Yes, but they're driven by tendencies that you're you're um, um, also driven by. So. But there is, anyway, the point is that there's a strong emphasis, and there has to be, that, that the jiva is responsible for its, its architect of its own destiny, it, it, it make, which means it makes choices, makes choices, makes choices. Then the material nature responds to the choices, and the paramatma doesn't do anything about it, because he defers to the justice of this of the interaction between the Maya Shakti and the Jiva Shakti, although through his devotees he does intervene and override the system of karma, the justice, by distributing mercy. Hmm. Um, but a strong emphasis on the free will, and so some of the interpretations of karma really tend to like do away with almost, in some people's minds, the free will, which is really the primary emphasis of the scripture. You can't be the architect of your own destiny if you're not making choices. Hmm. Yeah. I guess it, yeah, it's really one of those things that it's like it's it's hard to explain either way because like if you think about like that person who just you know shot all those people where the Las Vegas or something the one that uh-huh. at a concert. So you could say, well, they made the choice to go to that concert, so that's why that happened. Well, I have a problem with that. Mm. You know that. You know that it, it would seem to me that if you looked at the charts of all those people, there would be something to indicate something at that time. But isn't you know, it the same that it's only the light of transcendental knowledge that allows the choice? Isn't that right, Maharaj? Otherwise, people—they're they're sort of like automatons. No, the jiva has choices. If, if, the, if the jiva doesn't have any choice to make, it's a strong emphasis of the scripture. The jiva is the architect of his own destiny. He has choices to make. It's not just that, uh, that that when Vaishnavism comes into their life, they have a chance to make a choice. Obviously, the more they're under the sarup shakti, the more their choices are going to be uh, fruitful. And in the sarup shakti, it facilitates and brings out the free will of the jiva, who becomes sadhya sankalpa in, in the lila. Whatever he wants happens for the pleasure of Krishna. Hmm? Not here. The more you're covered by the modes, the more you become like matter. Mm-hmm. You never change, but you more become more matter-like. That's why I was saying on the scale, the lower modes of good nature, if they're primarily the influence in your life, you're going to be more matter-like and less able to rise above and express the will that, that the jiva has. Um, you know, the uh, uh, is an well to be an agent of action. The jiva can be. So that's true. So the more you become uncovered by matter, the more you're able to make, uh, consciously make choices rather than just be kind of caught up in uh, in um, this uh, reactions and the samskaras that are driving, that, that are driving you in life. And But I mean, it's, it's obvious that, uh, you know, People ha- are in those situations. They're, for example, alcoholic or something like that. But then they, 
They can join the Alcoholics Anonymous. They can, they can, they make, they make choices. Hmm. Yeah, they can change their situation. It's a very strong emphasis of the scripture. Yeah. That's kind of what you're saying, and I've always spoken about the mode of ignorance. You have a lot less choices because you're just dumb. Just like someone in the ghetto who's in the ignorance. Like animals. Yeah. They can't really get out of that situation unless there's some goodness when they can actually make a choice to get out of that situation. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Um, on a slightly different note, um, how important is it to choose to, when you have the opportunity to hear personally from your guru, to choose to do that as opposed to thinking, oh well, these lectures are on tape, I can listen to it later, and I think I'll do something else instead of going to hear from him. And what's the question about that? The importance of hearing directly from your guru if you have that opportunity. Well, I think that's important. I think that um, and um, the choices that we make, uh, you know, are important. Um, uh, it depends why you would make, you know, a choice. You might might it might be for the right reason, and you might be better off choosing not to attend and hear later because there's something important that you could be doing now in service to Krishna or. Uh, or maybe because of your circumstances, there's uh, that uh, you couldn't pay attention, your mind was disturbed. Okay. That could be another factor. Hmm? And so you, you you know you knew your boundaries, so you did something about it, and then put yourself in a position to hear. So there's just a lot of a lot of factors. But it but it's it's obvious that all, all in general, obviously it would be. Um, much more in our interest to hear directly than uh, think I've got something better to do and I'll hear later. So if, we, if we're doing that for, you know, not in a way that's connected. I mean, I'm giving ways in which it can be directly or indirectly connected to, to, to doing the right thing and be the better thing to do. Hmm? Number one, again, to go over it again, because I've got some other service that's more important and it would be actually indulgent on my part to go and sit and hear when meanwhile the next after the class the guru says so did you make that prashadam no i came and heard your class you know <laughs> great you know well, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that that's one reason to miss and then on a lower end, end but or let's say a more broader perspective again there may be something about you as a sadaka that uh that doesn't enable you to you determine by, by knowing your your boundaries and your psychology or health or whatever that I won't be able to take advantage of it. Um, let's say you know I'll fall asleep in the class if I go better I go to sleep now and listen to the class. There, so that, you know that would. But if your intention is right, then you could be doing any other a number of other things. And that would apparently seem less than ideal, but that could be ideal. And then there can be abuse, which is kind of the simplistic way in which you're probably thinking about it. Um, I think I'll, you know, go and 
uh, go bowling tonight instead, you know, or, or something like that, because, you know, I like to bowl. Um, then, you know, to give us extreme example, um, I've told you the story before how during the Brajamundal Parakram, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur's group, they were camping out every night for a few nights and then and he would lecture and whatnot, going around the the, the mandal of Braj and observing all the different holy places. So uh, it was announced that tonight in this area, tomorrow we're moving on and this is the last night to see the Seishai Vishnu deity, which is a famous deity on the Parkram Marg. Um, and so if you if you haven't had the darshan, this is the last night and Guru Maharaj will also be speaking tonight. That was the announcement that was made. So at least in terms of the announcement, there appeared to be a choice. But in the mind of Bhakti Siddhanta, when uh, some of the students went to have the darshan of Seishai Vishnu, he referred to them as Dandavat disciples. They were paying the Dandavats, they're doing the right thing formally, but they don't understand um, that the importance of hearing from the Guru. We only really know about the divinity of the deity because of hearing from the Guru. The Guru is more, you know, that kind of thing. Darshan of the Guru is more significant than Darshan of the deity type of em- emphasis. It so happened that both Prabhupada and Srinamarsh were in the group that stayed to hear the class of Bhakti Siddhanta. And it was about that, I think, that uh, Bhakti Siddhanta once remarked about Prabhupada, he listens very well. He's a good listener. He, he, so um, yeah, he, he, he took uh, took notice of that. Hmm. You know, how can you not? And then you think, okay, you say, well, for whatever, he, she's not as interested. So I can't be as interested in him or her either. I see she's very interested. I'd rather be interested in her <laughs> or him. That's maybe the case. It's just kind of natural, understandable. Well, talk to Gorgovinda Maharaj. <laughs> Some people have made a big deal out of that, right? Uh, uh, yeah, there's a history. And if you got initiated by hearing the mantra from Prabhupada on the tape, maybe you weren't really initiated, you know, this kind of thing, because on a tape and... And so some people make that kind of argument. Again, it's all a matter of intention, purpose, and what's if the intention of the guru is to initiate through that medium, then you know that's that's uh, viable. And um, um, but you know, overall, I think um, that uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's more compelling and powerful to, to be. In an environment where the talk is being given, than it is to hear it separately. I believe that there's more. There's more elements there that uh, can um, have a serve to have an impact and bring the message home. And uh, and uh, you know, yeah, you're hearing with others also, and their 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 feelings, their reaction is surcharging the room. So you're creating an environment. An environment is created there with a number of elements that aren't present when you just hear the tape. So...
better to come to the class, you know, you know given everything else I've said <laughs> as well. Yeah. Everything's complicated, huh? <laughs> yes? Um, back to the free will and karma part. Um, there's a person now, I forget his name, he has a long white beard. He's kind of being accepted as like the representative of Hinduism. Sadhguru. Sadhguru, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of his tapes. I never yeah. thought it. I was never this, very impressed. This conversation is like really happening in the Hindu community, trying to decipher between you know the very straight karma, and um, he is introducing more uh, free will aspect. Um, like people are always asking, you know, why did my daughter? You know, this happened to my daughter. And, she was sitting in the back seat of the car, and there was a car accident, and you know they died, but the people in the front, nothing happened to them. You know, so his like simple answer, I think, he's really trying to get them out of this locked-in idea of simple karma. Is like, well, um, they chose to sit in the back, and the Indian cars, like the back seats, aren't tied down. They're just boxes sitting in the back, and that's why they they were were killed. And he's like. It seems like this conversation is happening out there. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I take your word for it, but but uh, again, the emphasis is free will, and so I mean that, that's kind of a simplistic explanation. But but the suffering in that case that occurred was not independent of the choice. Hmm. There was a choice. The choice doesn't seem to correspond, you know, in the way people think of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I chose to sit in the back, and but, but that's but you're with other jivas. There's other things going on. You know, every jiva is responsible for his for his own actions, but we're not responsible for others' actions. And those, you can't get away from the fact that you're in this complex of. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, it's you know it's an issue that uh, that uh, with time, you have to look at it also culturally. So. The, the the explanation of karma that gives a more fatalistic type of perspective, I think, is is one that is often that somehow is imbibed in a way that that minimizes without realizing it. The emphasis is really on free will. The emphasis is you do something, you're responsible for it. That's the real emphasis. You 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 did it. You acted. And you have responsibility, so that the emphasis is on the free will. So anyway, that said, I made that point. But if you look at a culture of thousands of years ago, where everyone believes that this is not the only life, I've had many lives, they believe that the goal of life is to attain moksha or prem, hmm? and the only really uh, value, ultimately, of this life is, the, is, is how I conduct myself in relation to the trajectory that I'm on and the overriding purpose of life. Hmm? When you're in that situation, then rather than in the modern society, where by and large, even if you have this remote kind of vague belief that there's an afterlife, and you, you don't think about it very much, you just kind of believe it and so forth, there's a, there's a very strong emphasis on being all that you can be in this life. All of your human potential has to be used. You have to have as many freedoms and choices as you can to be a complete person 
and 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 this is if you don't you're really being uh, missing out you're really missing out it's really a shame we should really organize the society and the teaching in such a way everybody has all the choices they could you could choose to be a man or a woman even if you're biologically born one way or the other because you know for whatever reason you have to have all these possibilities because this life in and of itself independent of any possible trajectory that i might be on or is 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 what's important then the way in which you're going to, people are going to respond to the karmic explanation of, that was rendered in the other society is going to be very different. If I'm in a society where everyone believes in reincarnation and the goal of this life is to attain, then you know the fact that I, I may have done something that caused me to be like this, and you know it's, it can all be digested a lot easier and and, and so forth. And because anyway, this life is not everything. That's not what I am, and and and, and, and so on. But if you don't have that, then this is all sticks out like, wait a minute, here, what are you guys saying? You know, it's not making, uh, uh, it's not, uh, it's, you can't sell it, so to speak. Hmm? Well, that's, you know, uh, well, I have emphasized the free will, and as Shastra emphasized the free will, I'm theologizing, not merely, I'm looking to explore it in, in greater depth. I'm saying it could be accepted in a simplistic way. Hmm? Without having to think more deeply about it, those subjects come up, those those thoughts come up in a different situation. Therefore, there need to be deeper answers of the theory and explore it, and so forth. Now that said, you know you have a third situation where you have this Vedic society, you have the modern society, which the average person probably believes that there's life after death. You know, the vast majority of people without. Any, any clear idea about it, and then there's the sector of the society which is a fair amount that don't believe in God, don't believe in any afterlife, and so forth. And they, of course, emphasize the same thing that you have to have a full life, and this is, but but at the same time, they're teaching that there is no free will whatsoever. Materialism says there is no free will, hmm? and therefore there is no right or there is no wrong. On, outside of human convention, you you decided this was right. If I decided it was wrong, I have you know, I have just as much justification for for making the decision. So that guy mm. was okay just to go shoot a bunch of people. It really, yeah, that's that, that's the theory. It, it, it doesn't matter whether I'm shooting people or or I'm feeding the poor. It's it's, it's just uh, physical forces. Interacting, interacting, that's all that's going on. So persons with that type of worldview, they really can't get upset with us for our karmic perspective. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't play out entirely for their intelligence and make sense to them, um, their own perspective is that there is no meaning. Of, why are you arguing with us that we're coming up with some illusory idea? You're living as if one thing is the truth, but you live... As a, but your practical, theoretically, but your practical life is, you're concerned that people do the right thing, and you know people don't get taken off by religion and some misconception, and, and, and because they'll do something bad, and you know, but there is no good or bad, you know. So, if, if your own life is made up, practical life, then why get on my case for making up a religion, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
your very theory is that the you know that that there is no meaning to life but then at every step you're finding meaning and purpose and creating it and 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 saying that's what i'm doing well that's what you're doing by your you know by your very uh, uh theory so 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 if you if you want to have the atheistic argument against karma you could just really turn the tables very easily and say well look at your what's your view here you know we're we're giving dignity to the individual here. There is an individual in our perspective, and that's how you live your life, right? We do have choices to make. They're real. Hmm? They're real. Hmm? They're not just a play in a game. Because if they're just a play in a game, so what? Some people got shot. That's just you know, a chapter in the book. You know, it's a fiction. It's a fiction. Why get all riled up about? It? You can get riled up if you want to, but I have just as much justification saying. Who cares? You know, it's no big deal. Hmm? I'm completely justified. So, hmm? yeah, yeah, it's, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we got it. We're okay. We're okay. Kind of. All right. So, I guess we'll, what's the time? All right, we'll stop there. Shishi Gauradam Adhapaki Jai. Gaurabhakta Bindaki.